0: Hey, we're back. This is Move to Improve. I'm Dr. Jurgis. We got Dr. Alex Fitzwitch here and Dr. Greg Uchens. So today we're talking mobility versus stability. Um, And I really like this breakdown. That's something that Greg Cook kind of laid out in uh, the FME Bible. Uh, And it's basically if you take the human body and you reduce it to two fundamental factors i guess you could say there's mobility and stability it's a it's a balance of two things that keeps us moving right can't have too much of one without the other right you guys want to elaborate on that for a second
1: yeah so the example i always use is like wd40 and duct tape so a lot of what we do like adjusting muscle work mobilization That's like the WD-40, right? Something doesn't move enough. We make it move more. But the piece that a lot of people don't take into account is that duct tape or that stability. And so... If something already moves too much, how do we make that tighter? How do we make it stronger? How do we make it more stable? And that's where uh, a lot of people kind of don't respond well in their rehab, right? They'll get better once they're moving a little bit better. They're not as stiff and sore. But long-term, to prevent injury, we want to work on that duct tape piece, that stability. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and and the interesting thing is, you know, some body types are just going to be more unstable and it could could benefit more from the stability, you know, people that you just are loose in the joints, their collagen is much looser and you could probably identify yourself if you're one of those people. Uh, And then some people are just so stiff and and just they need mobility for whatever reason, their body type is rigid, right? Um, But the interesting thing is that you'll have an area of the body, of the body, like the core, where you're going to want, More stability, more more rigidity to keep things stable, but then there's adjacent areas where the need is for more mobility, like the the hips and the thoracic spine, and uh, you, you really, you can't have one without the other.
2: I I agree. So I I love the duct tape, by the way, versus WD-40. That's actually really good.
1: It is, yeah. And I explained, like, (laughs) what we do is mostly, like, WD-40. And then, like, what Melissa does is mostly duct tape. And you need a combination of the the both, sometimes
2: in different areas. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I would agree. So let's talk about the hips. So I, I wholeheartedly agree. So people get stiff and tight all through their hips. Okay, is that a mobility or stability issue? Well, the immediate issue that we're dealing with is kairos, is that's a that's a stiffness thing right it's a mobility piece and you got tension all through the hips so we're doing all of our myofascial work in through the hips we're finding out all the tight ten you know tight tissues and tension the myofascial strain on the area we're loosening that up we're loosening up the articulations because there's scar tissue built up there's irritation in there because you know they've, they've irritated the joints so you have all this so we're working on the mobility piece the question is is why is this different tight and it's always a freaking stability piece it's like they're moving wrong they're not contracting the muscles they're not doing the movement pattern that the way they need to do the movement pattern so now when they're in an inefficient system the inefficient system gets overworked and then everything gets stiff right so i agree they go hand in hand but really, if we can work on that stability piece, because everybody lacks it. Everybody wants to go home. Everybody wants to stretch. Everybody wants to foam roll. They want to go and see their practitioner. That's all it's that. It's easy. Yeah, it's easy. and You can go get the passive care. It's like, you take care of me and do this. But the reality is if people are more stable and people are working on a stability piece, when people are working on establishing proper movement patterns and ensuring they've got upper and lower core stabilization and, you know, and, and engaging that properly when they're moving or scapular stabilization, et cetera, all these things then mobility becomes less of an issue here, right? Because they tend to be healthier and not have these issues coming in. I do like Greg Cook's stuff, like where he'll basically assess, okay, is this a stability or mobility issue, right? And you just determine it through testing and you say, okay, if this is a stability or this is a mobility issue, now we need to get in there and we need to do our work, right? And we need to provide that mobility back. And then the patient needs to provide that stability overlay, right? So it doesn't keep coming back. Because there's some patients that I treat, all the time for the same stuff on and on and it's that's the mobility piece because they haven't provided that stability right to the system so they just keep smashing the same joints the same muscles the same ligaments tendons my fascia tissue etc right yeah that's yeah. my tip
0: No, it's a good point and it, it is i think the go-to for a lot of patients is thinking oh I need more mobility, I need to stretch more, stretch more for everything, right? Do you have any stretches you can give me? It's like, okay, but you're probably going to get more benefit out of trainings for stability. And and a prime example is uh, the, the old hamstring stretch where everybody wants to stretch their hamstrings. But the reality is you don't have the mobility because your, your core isn't stable enough to anchor in your hips to allow them to move into their full range, right? So if you had the, the core stability piece, you wouldn't need to stretch your hamstrings every day and still gain no range. Yeah, just to
1: touch back on like the Grey Cook idea of figuring out if it is actually the muscle or the joint, because sometimes it is, or if it is more of a stability piece. Like with that hamstring example, if you physically are stretching the hamstrings with a straight leg, there will be a point where it can't go any further. And that's like the physical length of the muscle that's limiting you but with a lot of those patients if you get them you either stabilize their pelvis with your hands give them some external stability get them to brace their core properly or any of these other things to provide more stability then they'll have like dramatically increased range like just like that and that's because that hamstring is tight because of pelvic position, poor core bracing or any of these other factors. It's not because of the meat of the hamstring. That's like actually too tight. You don't actually have to
0: stretch it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool, cool point to bring up with patients or to just passively move their leg all the way up and be like, does that hurt? Do you feel like you're going to tear? And they're like, no, it feels fine. Yeah. It's like, well, it's yeah, you have the mobility. You don't know. You don't have the muscle control to take yourself into that entire range. And so the stress really becomes, if you have the range now, then you need to be able to keep it stable and, and keep it strong within that range or else you're just going to lose it again. Yeah.
2: So what's the take-home? I guess the take-home is is that both are really important, right? We're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're the mobility piece primarily, right, yeah. in helping people, but really the focus is we got to get people, we got to teach people to engage more in that stability piece, right? It's yeah. like we know this concept when it comes to... Osteoarthritic change, right? Like the whole concept of osteoarthritic change, the literature is telling us now that, you know, low bearing joints like a knee and hip don't really absorb force, right? They redistribute force. And so they really don't break down and become arthritic unless either A, you've damaged those joints and now there's some sort of structural difference to that joint than what it was made for, or B, you're moving wrong. Right? So, it's the muscle dysfunction theory of osteoarthritis. So, yeah. if you're moving inefficiently, you'll start to load that joint inappropriately. And so, what happens is the joint, so the body says, Holy crap, we got some stuff going on here. Okay, so what we have to do is we have to make this, we have to adapt. So, let's make the bone thicker and stronger. So, it becomes thicker and it starts to pancake out, right? Your bone growth, too, because it's absorbing that force, it's trying to respond to that increased stress. Well, that's osteoarthritic change, right? That's sclerosis, that's osteophyte formation. That's so if we can get people to move right, then we're not gonna degradate those joints. So that basically that comes into the Teaching them how to move properly, getting rid of the, 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 uh, mobility issues and teach it and, te- and getting them stabilized so that they can move properly, right? So we need, the take home is, is that we need to teach people to engage more in stability type exercises and make sure they're educated and aware of what it means to move properly, right? And giving them those st- stability exercises to, to get there. Right. That would be that would be the take home from my thing. I wanted to challenge you guys on this, so let's make it a hypothetical professional hockey player damages his MCL, and immediately the healthcare people with the team. Doctor with the team puts them in a stability brace and says, You leave this on for three weeks. And then we'll reassess. So they get an MRI. They find out that, say, 80% of the fibers are torn. There's only 20% of the MCL hanging on. And they put them into uh, a, a stability brace right away, immediately. Like Don't enjoy a Don Joy break or something like that. Say, Three weeks. You're wearing this thing for three weeks. Is that the right approach for? this type of injury it's an interesting question because i can see i can see why they do it right but like it's a liability thing you want to tighten up the mcl so what 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 are the arguments guys
1: yeah i think that number one argument like in that hypothetical example you want to protect your assets as much as possible it's way better for a guy to be in the knee brace for three weeks than to tear his his mcl and have to you know do surgery do rehab all that kind of stuff like Again, I totally get that. The only issue is that the cause of that in hockey is a little bit different, right? Things just happen in hockey. Like you can, you know, even if your knee's stable, you can still tear your MCL. But in general, if there was more stability in that knee already, then there'd be more protection and probably less stress on those ligaments. And so when you introduce that external bracing mechanism, then you teach the body to kind of rely on that and it doesn't have to stabilize the area as much as it would. Yeah, because but we're, but we're talking price. hockey. We're talking like,
2: a, you know, another hockey player fell on you, right? right? And exactly. tore that MCL, right? So, yeah. and now they're saying, Kate, three weeks, you braced up. Yeah. So the thing that I always remind people is that, you know,
0: you sprain a ligament or whatever you injure, the best way for it to heal is to heal under some amount of stress, some whatever that optimal amount of loading is, and it's going to be not that much to begin with, but your body's just going to lay down connective tissue haphazardly, and it's up to you to tell it what what strands and fibers are laid in the right direction and what is just fat that you need to kind of shed off, and your body will do that naturally if you move it slowly, load it a little bit provide some kind of stress so that it can form like a diamond under pressure, right? As opposed to just pancaking on scar tissue and hoping it's not going to re which it will, um, but also to train your neurology too so you have some of that joint sense and, and proprioception throughout the recovery process because you want to rehab it to be resistant to stress, right? And so you need to apply stress accordingly. The only problem is, that's, that's a complex task for a lot of people, and it's a lot less liability to just put someone in a brace so that they're not back in their office because they don't know what they're doing, and they re-injure themselves. And so the reality is you kind of want there to be an expert in your corner if
2: you have a serious injury because you're not going to know what, what is appropriate loading. That's a great point. So what you're basically saying is that that whole RICE, rest, ice, compression, elevation is crap. You heard it here first, people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not, <laughs> Not first, that's for sure. <laughs> Not but... first. Yeah, like rest is garbage. Icing's been absolutely smashed in the literature too, right? Like, it—we don't. you don't necessarily have to ice too many. I never told too many you many to ice. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. Kind of if you want to get out of pain
0: real fast, maybe. Yeah,
2: and in some cases, maybe it's beneficial, but there's a lot of negatives to icing too. A right? slow metabolic rate, I'll yeah. tightening the tissues, less elasticity. Anyway, so my, my thing is, yeah, so I, I, I get their point, right? The physician says, holy crap, like, this is a liability thing. I've got a multi-million dollar player, theoretically, right? Always theoretically, um, m- multi-million dollar player that I need to make sure gets back on the ice. And they're given it eight weeks. They're saying, "Okay, you'll be back in eight weeks, right?" And um, th- there's this liability thing. Look, at, if I don't have this person to brace, and they go and valgus stress their their knee, or you know, they catch their foot on a little bit of gravel or something in the rug or whatever, and all of a sudden they valgus stress, they tear that again. We're effed right now. We're back to square one. Okay, we gotta. I hundred percent get that. But after three weeks, these players, you evaluate them, and they've lost a massive amount of muscular development in that leg, right? Like the quad is just atrophied. And it's and they've lost balance, neurological control, movement patterns, right, proprioceptive control. Um, and man, alive, it's a hell of a rehab to get it back, right? Mm-hmm. And so you weigh the stability versus mobility piece, right? And I I get it—you want to stabilize it. But man, alive, like Matt, you said it. Like you, you need to be—it's—it's protect and not only load, right? So you need to absolutely get that leg moving because uh, uh, an Olympic athlete will lose one percent per day with inactivity. You lie on the couch for a day, one percent—like that's fast, man. Pretty quick. Do it for three weeks. Yeah. Right. And so there's there's nothing left. There's even like you could even. Even if they're in the brace, they should be on a bike pedaling the other leg because there's a you know there's a crossover you know, there's a crossover of that benefit to the other leg you know that, that's wild too but anyway so my thing is theoretically I would have the patient not wear the brace so I would have them wear, actually not true I would have them wear the brace when they're not at home when they're at home and in a completely controlled environment and they can control their motion and you have emphasized what needs to not happen you cannot allow your knee to collapse immediately you cannot allow that and get them to start just standing on the one leg for 30 seconds you know with arms basically right on the countertop ready to hold you and then have them just walk up stairs you know first would be the non-injured leg then the injured leg follows non-injured and then non-injured leg injured leg non-injured you know you just progress to go from and then finally go from up to downstairs. um but you, you have to do these simple types of exercises just to maintain the health of the tissues in there. And then you don't get the fatigue, right? And then after three weeks, you've got a nice state. And getting therapy, like, you know, things like grass, you know, myofascial work. And, yeah. you know, um, like all those things that help align scar tissue, fantastic. Um, and, I'll, again, I'll throw it theoretically. After three weeks, they're, they're kicking it. They're feeling great. They're like, I don't even need a brace anymore. As opposed to after three weeks, there's like, you know start from scratch oh well and they're all even like worse this, they're obviously. atrophy yeah it's, yeah it's awful And no wonder it is an eight week right as opposed to you get these guys back in, in three four weeks right yeah mm-hmm. like, that's amazing and then um you know I, I god i have so many guys in the nhl that wear knee braces because they had like a, even a grade one of an mcl and they and they wear a knee brace prophylactically now why yeah like awesome. why like rehab it, make your body, right? Again, I've had a whole bunch of them mm-hmm. too that we've rehabbed and they don't wear a brace anymore, right? It just collects dust in the closet they, and they're healthy and they're fit and they're moving and they're back at it and they're performing great. And there's no increased risk for injury, but you have to get moving with it. You have, so yeah, I get the stability. I totally get it. It's a liability piece. They have to do that. A thousand percent, a 1000000 dollar athlete. We can't mm-hmm. have them. Reinjuring this and then because now how does that look on me and how does that look on the liability side we need to get this asset back in the ice and from my side I'm not the person in control making the decisions so I want to see that athlete get back on the ice and not have to wait eight weeks like save them a month of rehab yeah. right and not have them atrophy so I'm protecting not fully loading right yeah I have some responsibility on my side but it has to be very clear how they need to control their movement patterns, right? When they, as soon as they walk out of that house and they're going into an uncontrolled environment, you have to be wearing that brace. You cannot allow that medial, yeah. that medial stress, right? And it really
0: has to be stressed just like you put it, where it's like, I, like if you're feeling good, sure, but yeah. there's a very clear silver lining here.
2: Matt, I love your, your comment, is that you need to have an expert in your corner working with you. You need to. Yeah. I tell you what, having that expert in your corner working with you, man alive, can you ever fix these things up right. appropriately?
0: And, and here's an example of people that you probably know somebody like this who sprained their ankle and they maybe put it in a, in a brace or whatnot, a wrap. And, uh, you know, eight weeks later, or whatever, I, yeah, no, I feel good. But every single time I play basketball or I come down a curb, I roll it and I sprain my ankle again. It's chronically weak. And that's because you thought you healed from an injury that you didn't. You, you just rested. You yeah. just rested it. And now that's just scar yeah. tissue. And well, they damaged have...
2: the nerves and then they never went back and rehabbed the nerves, right? Yeah. Right. So you get that. There's a So for our, our listeners, so if you stand on one foot, you'll see that your foot wobbles a little bit. If you slow that... Video down, you'll see that you're going to kind of fall to one side. There's a signal sent to the brain to say, Hey, dummy, contract the muscles so you don't fall over. And then it goes down, it contracts the muscles, brings the leg back, maybe it goes to the other side. Oh, dummy, you're going to fall the other way. Signal sent to the brain, comes back down, contracts the muscles. And in real time, that's just a little wobble. And then when you do it, when you sprain your ankle, like an inversion sprain, you kind of damage those nerves. And so now that reflex reaction becomes sluggish. And so now, the next time that signal sent to the brain, hey, dummy, contract a muscle, you're going to fall over. By that time, your ankle's gone past anatomical integrity, and now you've re-sprained before your body can bring it back. So, like you're saying, if all you do is stabilize the area because you've torn the ligaments too, and you go back, you haven't rehabbed the nerves, you're just going to keep going past anatomical integrity, right? So you've got to rehab the nerves. You've got to be doing balance exercises, right? That's that mobility versus stability piece. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think I think the approach that we use with this like hypothetical hockey player, I think that's what really makes us different as a clinic. Is that you could say that a lot of advice is like more conservative. It's like, oh, don't risk it. Try, do what you know. Don't do anything for six weeks, eight weeks. See how it is. And ours is quite a bit more aggressive in that let's kind of push the envelope and see what it is that you can do. And so, like, Dr. Gregg's hypothetical rehab program it's literally standing on one leg at first with you holding your hands out for balance, like... Anybody can do that. I don't care how bad, like, the injury is. Like, that will always benefit. And it's always better than doing nothing. And then you slowly just step it up. And, you know, the teams want the players back as quick as possible. They don't want to risk a worse injury and have them out eight weeks. But, like, they do want them back in three or four weeks if that's possible. And so having an expert to help guide you through that program is super helpful. But, like, being aggressive with treatment, aggressive with rehab will get you the results faster, 100%.
0: And it will get you the results long-term instead of having to start over every time you re-injure it because you don't Yeah, you don't have the integrity
2: in the, in the joint and the, the body. The last point I'd like to throw in there is that, you know, you, kept, you keep saying having an expert in your corner, and it's so crucial for that, whoever that is, because getting an NHL hockey player back faster... It's pretty important, right that's a pretty valuable asset that you probably pay in like whatever thirty forty fifty sixty seventy thousand dollars a game right to play if you have a beer league you know player that does that same injury in the final game of the season and they're not going to be playing until next fall again and it's barely uh, you know what it's fine to keep them in that brace a little bit longer and not as aggressively go at it you know i've had athletes that man i, I got a year we're we're in the olympics in three weeks we don't have we don't have the luxury of taking our time with this right and then i have other ones that's like you know what we're in the off season and you're on three weeks of break anyway like it's chill and this just eases thing you know and so it kind of depends on on the individual circumstance too of how aggressively you go at, at these injuries right yeah
0: that's a good point
2: Play to your audience. You
0: know how how uh, athletically inclined is this person? How well are they going to take to this advice, and, and not perhaps overshoot it and, and re-injure themselves? Yeah, that would be starting all over again, and that's certainly not what we want. I think we tackled some really some really good stuff here, and this is totally so valuable for anybody listening, because um, you know everybody gets injured. But there's some important things to remember, and it's not necessarily public knowledge for everybody to have. So thanks again for listening. This is Move to Improve, and we really appreciate all the support. Take care now.